Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Dave and Kate, for just uh, honoring us. It is such a joy to be here. And uh, we're so happy. I've just loved the worship today. Thank you. Come on. Let's thank our worship team. Come on. Really thank them and appreciate them. And I see we've got new musicians there too. I could tell. I could feel the sound. <laughs> How awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, just, uh, I just, the worship today is just so beautiful. I was just weeping. Just the presence of God. It's so hard to find in churches. It shouldn't be, but it is. And uh, I want to thank, I want to get Joy to come up and share some things, and uh, she's going to come and share a little, and uh, then I'll, I've got a message uh, I want to share today, and uh, so come on up, hon. Take the mic, can you take the mic there? Thank you, dear. It doesn't always hear. That's it. <laughs> we wanted to bless everybody here with a little bit of gold today, so we've got some people to give you all a little mini crunchy bar. Everyone here gets a crunchy bar. Everybody has to have a little bit of gold Everyone gets a bit of gold today. Where is it? I want to hand out the gold. That's hand the way. The gold. Everyone deserves a bit of gold. Everyone yes. needs to know they're special. Celebrate. Gold. There you go. Crunchies are my favourite, and the gold colour is really great. We use them for treasure hunts at home. <laughs> Find the gold. This is a special day. Fifty years ago, this man gave his heart to the Lord. Yes, exactly. Wow. Uh, fifty years married. Fifty years being this Christian. Oh, wedding day. How about that? Why did he do that on his wedding day? Well, one, I think he felt that a threefold cord would be what was needed to survive. Yeah. We needed to have God in our marriage. Also, God, who knows the heart, actually spoke to me that he did have a heart after God. And it's amazing, God knows people's hearts, eh? and I felt a real peace because God showed me he had a heart after God, and I felt a peace to proceed, even though he had been in a lot of religious bondage. <laughs> but God made it the most unbelievable way. We had seven years trying to get ourselves married. It was just impossible. <laughs> I don't know if you got the orange or the green, but in the 60s, it was a different scene. Mike was from a very strong Catholic family, and I was from a brethren family, and we could just not get it to happen. But you know what happened in the end? Mike, who was flattered with a whole lot of guys who were training to be priests, one of them broke his leg playing rugby. Good old rugby, eh? He broke his leg, ended up in hospital, and he fell in love with a Presbyterian nurse. Wow! And these two decided they could get married by using the nurse's chapel, and they had a Catholic priest and a Presbyterian minister, and they had a joint wedding. And that made the way for us. <laughs> we had a Catholic priest, and we had a... Actually, my way was to become Anglicans. You know, we reason things out. I thought we could both shift a little bit. <laughs> we both become Anglicans. So I thought I'd become an Anglican, and that would be halfway house. But God doesn't have compromise. He had another way, and we had an Anglican minister, though. Both of them were spirit-filled, and uh, we had the nurses' chapel, neutral ground, and we actually finally found a way that our parents and families could celebrate happily. Isn't that amazing? God made a way right yes, at the very beginning. Amazing. It seemed impossible. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to honor Mike today. He's the most Thank loving, you. loving husband. Yeah, he's very, very good. First of all, I want to honor four specific things and inspire other men to be the same. One is he's become a, he was the spiritual leader in our home. He's taken the office of a spiritual covering, prayed for the home, prayed for the family. And that's a tremendous thing to have, a, a, a man that would actually take that place. And I just encourage all men to be spiritual leaders because it brings safety and peace and 
all sorts of atmosphere in the home. You can't get any other way. So I honor you for being such a spiritual leader. And you grow in all these things. You don't start off being a spiritual leader. But if you follow the Lord, you grow in how to do that and how to stand up and take authority. And all the other characters you grow in, like love. You're very loving, loving, loving husband. And what does love look like? Well, endless cups of teas in bed. <laughs> and then you learn not to have a solution to every problem, but you just hug and listen. How many men have learned that one? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And for someone like me, you patiently, carefully teach us how to use technical devices. Very patiently, not getting angry or thinking I should know. <laughs> and in my case, you don't use your preacher voice at home. You've got to use a gentle voice. <laughs> but you're very, very loving. Very kind. You know, law of kindness is greater than a man. You're a very kind man. You're kind to me, kind to everybody. But it's good to have a person who's kind, and you grow in kindness, don't you? You're very yeah. kind. You're just so kind to everybody. And, um, and uh, what's the last one I was going to say? I'm generous, generous, to grow in generosity. You know, I have two lovely credit cards, and I use them as I want to use them. <laughs> I never have any questions asked, but I don't abuse them because we have common goals and common and common goals and common things. So, but, you know, it's great just to be able to this heart use them as I want to safely use them. in her. <laughs> and but he's generous no to surprises. everybody, generous to the family, generous to everybody. And it's great to grow in generosity. You know, we're blessed to be a blessing. And, you just have all these lovely Thank character you. qualities and heaps more. But you're just awesome. <laughs> I, love I love you very much. <laughs> Yay. Very Yay. I just want to say something else about the big 5-0. I don't know, if you're in this church, you couldn't help but have heard the verse in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the, um, and he's anointed us to preach the good news to those that are poor in spirit and know they need God. And... Uh, Heal the brokenhearted, set the, uh, bring liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind or spiritual vision, set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then it says the next verse, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Does anybody know what that means? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord? Well, it means the year of Jubilee. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you probably started reading the Bible, maybe got as far as Genesis and Exodus and then get bogged down in Leviticus. <laughs> but in Leviticus 25, there's a tremendous chapter about a significant 50th year. It's called the year of Jubilee. God knows how to keep all the economy fair and everything so that it's distributed properly. So what he did, he established that there was a six years people worked and then they had a Sabbath rest. That let the land rest and recover and they had enough food from the sixth year to carry them through the seventh year. Then he had seven cycles like that. And then he had, after seven cycles, 49 years, he declared a 50th year was a special year. He called it a year of jubilee. And there's four quite significant things about that year. And I found as I was reading it on Friday, each of them have applied to us this year, but also apply to you. So read Leviticus 25. First of all, it said it's a year of rest. Now this for us is unbelievable. I mean, Mike's been a teacher in a high school, a teacher in a Christian school, a pastor of the church, he's pastor here, pastor of the movement, ran around the world preaching, but this year's a year of rest. No travel, all cancelled, <laughs> have a year of rest. Just homeboy. Hey, isn't that Become a homie. That's a 
He told me in February, cancel your year. It's not happening. Don't even try pushing the buttons. You're going to be hungry. And for all of us, he has a year where he can provide. You know, in the year of rest, the Lord provided for them. They didn't have any harvest of crops. In fact, they had enough to last three years on the on the crops before the Sabbath year and then before the Jubilee year. But the Lord is going to be their total provider. And a lot of you are having a year where, where's the money going to come from? Well, you have to learn that God is and able provide, to provide. Yeah. And he's opened up income streams and ways, and he'll do it for you. The second thing I thought was neat, all debts were cancelled. Mm. They had a year where all debts were cancelled. And actually, this month, we paid our last mortgage repayment, and our debts are all cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't know anybody anything. But also, and in those times, sometimes people got into trouble financially, and they had to... Um, sell part of their land or um, work their way out of their debt, but didn't go on forever and ever and ever. In the 50th year, cancelled. You're free again. Yes. Go back to that. The people came out of Egypt. God had a land for them, allocated land for every tribe. But on the, after the year of Jubilee, whatever bondage they'd gone into, they were released from all debt and could go back and get their land back and be free of all debt. Wonderful. God a yeah. good God. Yeah, absolutely. He cancels debt. He cancels your debt. We all had a debt we couldn't repay. He took all our debt on the cross. He has cancelled everybody's debt. He's a debt cancelling God. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. Third thing, he um, it's a year of restoration. For us, it's been interesting. Thanks to Liesel, our whole house has been restored. And Ivan. Yes. Painting and making it all beautiful. In the last few years, restored our whole house because it's an old house, but it looks awesome. But more significantly, he's restored Josephine. Mm. Josephine, I don't know if you know our story, but a lot of people don't. But in our turbulent seven years, we had Josephine and gave her up for adoption. I committed her to the Lord. I still cry about it. But anyway, God's brought her back. Not only in our lives, but the church. It's just awesome. Absolutely, it's a miracle. A total miracle, and just is so precious to us. And he's restored us to this local church. You know, we left, we released it. But now that David and Kate have drawn us in this spiritual covering, and we're going to have a year at home, getting to know everybody, <laughs> catching up with old friends. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely awesome. And for everybody, God restores. But I think what he wants us to know, that everything we have is actually on loan. We're only stewards. Yeah. We're all stewards. If we had the attitude that everything God's given us, it belongs to him, as David was saying. <coughs> and if he wants to call on your home or your car or your time or your money, it belongs to him anyway. Yeah, it does. So and the last thing, it's a year of freedom. You know, Mike's been working hard, he travel. Sometimes in, New, in, in, in Taiwan, he'll do 38 meetings in two weeks. I mean, it's not a, a, a light schedule. He's flat out. But here, no meetings. No, lots of things to prepare for. The Lord just wants him to be a son. Yeah. Just be enjoy my son. Yeah. Enjoy my presence. Just mm. enjoy being a son. And enjoy getting to know the Father, having intimacy with the Father, just drawing near to him. Isn't that a wonderful year to have? Absolutely. And we've just made the most of it. Extra time just enjoying <laughs> him. Don't have to get ready for lots of trips or meetings and things. Just enjoy being a son. But all of us, you know, he came to set us free. 
He set us free of shame and fear and guilt and, in our case, religious bondage. He doesn't want any of us tied up in a stead. He's come to set us all free. And if you haven't had a freedom retreat or haven't been set free yet, God is a God that sets people free of all the religious bondage so we can just enjoy being sons. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. I take that away with you. Oh. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Laughter and tears, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> well, things touch the heart. <laughs> so uh, I want to just, we, we, this is a time of celebration for us, so that's why we give out the crunchy bar. Everyone can have a little bite of the celebration, bite of the sweetness. And uh, as Joy said, we're celebrating 50 years of being married, and uh, also for me, 50 years of being a Christian, coming to Christ. And, uh, you know, when people come and make their commitment to become married, they never make that commitment knowing really what the future will hold. And uh, the sad thing is for so many, they don't last. And so I want to share some things uh, uh, that are, are keys, uh, very important keys. And uh, often all we see is the success of people, but we don't actually see, well, what contributed to that success. And uh, it's all very well to admire or see people and see all the things they've done. What you've got to do is ask the questions is how did you get there and what did you have to overcome? And uh, I, I just love what uh, Dave has been uh, just um, pressing on the church for us to engage and become an answer in the community. So I'm going to share just a few things uh, related to it then. And, and so I want to share basically um, some keys. And then I want to talk about some decisions that I made. These are things you never saw, but they had a tremendous outcome in terms of the direction of our life. So the first thing is, uh, relations, uh, relationships are one of God's keys to advance you in life. Relationships. So for you to advance, God will bring people to you or you'll engage with people. And those relationships, they affect the course of your life. They affect the way you think. They affect uh, the way you look at life. They affect what you value. So who are your friends? Who are the influences in your life? Who have you chosen to connect with and surround yourself with that are actually shaping how you think and what you value? And this is very, very important. So when the devil wants to destroy us, he brings ungodly relationships into our life. He brings ungodly people who defile our thinking and draw us away from the things that really would lead to a life that's successful and prosperous. So we have to recognize relationships are a key factor that God uses to shape our life. And, uh, and he will arrange divine connections. So I've been astonished in the course of my life how God has set up relationships. All I needed to do was recognize the significance of that person in God's plan for my life and then honor the relationship. So we, people take relationships very casually and we tend to have the attitude that uh, you, you, you relate to people and draw from them what will get me ahead. That's the characteristic of our culture. But God brings relationships where you call to honor the person and serve the person. And in the doing of that, your life then begins to enlarge. And every major enlargement in my life has always been connected to a relationship that was formed. I'll just, and so uh, because of that, we need to understand and value relationships. The second thing related to that, which is another key to advancement in the kingdom, a foundational principle for your advance in life after the value of good relationships or godly relationships and mentors. The second thing is learning to honor people. Honor is foundational to the kingdom. 
Our culture is a culture of dishonor. You look in the media now and you can see just the incredible dishonor and the hatred and the fighting and the things that are going on. You can't have a part of that. Our kingdom is a kingdom that honors people. It places value on people. And you, if you start to get attitudes about people and judge people, get angry because they disagree with you, because they hold another viewpoint, because they are going in a different course, then you will dishonor them. We're called to honor all men. But particularly we're called to honor people that have a part in our life and in our journey forward. For every person here, God requires you honor your source. So it's a foundational principle of the kingdom which will determine whether you succeed or not. Your success is not just about God, it's actually about you and some of the choices you make. I'll touch on that in a moment. So we're always called to honor our source and the primary source you have is your father and your mother. They brought you into this world and so an important, uh, important people in your life to honor, treat with value, place respect on them, even if they're broken, even if they have difficulties or setbacks or lacks. That's true of all people. Some people uh, have got greater brokenness in their life than others, but we're still called to overlook and to honor those who have given us life. And so I want to identify in my journey uh, some people I want to honor. It's important because we're celebrating uh, a, a tremendous victory that we've gone 50 years in our marriage. We're deeply in love. We love one another more now than we did when we started. Our love is more mature. We walk together. We have a friendship together. We enjoy each other's company. We have fun together. We laugh together. We do stuff together. It's very rare to find. And so, but there are people that have helped that journey. And so I want to just... Uh, list some people today I want to honor, and then I'll share with you just uh, a couple more keys. And I want to share the other two keys I want to share about encounters that we need to have in order for us to go forward in our life, and then decisions you need to make. And so let me just, first of all, I just want to just take a moment, just want to honor some people. And uh, the first I want to honor today openly is Jesus. I was just deeply touched in the worship today. Just the way we started with honoring him and, and, and calling him to bring the reign of revival. And, uh, you know, so I want to honor him because he's been faithful to me. Uh, before time began, he planned the journey I would take. And uh, there was a day when he drew me to himself and drew me into a, an encounter with him that changed my life. So today I just honor Jesus and thank him for what he's done in my life. I also want to thank and honor uh, two praying women. One was Joy's Auntie May, and uh, there was another one. I don't know who she was, but they prayed and believed for me for more than two years before I actually made a decision to come to Christ. They prayed, they fasted, they interceded, and the consequence of that was me coming to Christ. And I was so set in my mind, set in my ways, it needed a breakthrough that someone praying brought about. So never underestimate the power of prayer. And today, I really honor the people who are unseen by me, but seen by God, who prayed, and the consequence was a life that uh, we've been able to live ever since. I want to just thank and honor uh, pastors Duncan and Linda Graham. They were the first pastors that took us in, and they loved us and taught us what pastoral care looks like, loving people. They took us into their home, and uh, they were the first ones who modeled pastoral care to us. We saw what loving people and just accepting people are. 
and that they helped us grow in a love for the Holy Spirit because they love Holy Spirit and they love people and they were very hospitable. And uh, I want to thank and honor uh, Pastor Ross and Shirley Davies and Danny Verk because we shifted out of the Methodist church into the local Pentecostal church and uh, I saw fatherhood model there. But more than that, they imparted into us a revelation of the kingdom of God and a revelation of eternal rewards and it totally transformed our lives. Now, I can't develop that today, but it made us understand that our life here is just a period of probation or apprenticeship for what the real ministry will be in the millennial kingdom of Jesus and in the coming ages to come. And many people don't understand that. They've got no concept of that. But I can tell you now that to have that understanding of eternity, you live all of your life out of eternity's perspective. It changes the way you view everything. And hopefully we'll have a chance to teach on some of those things. I've been instructing my family in those things. So they taught us about the Word, the importance of the Word of God. They imparted to us a love for worship and the presence of God. They were passionate about the presence, about worship. And uh, I learned much and received much. I came out of that season carrying the anointing they carried. Uh, I want to just particularly honor publicly today a, a man called, you wouldn't have known him, Reverend Kevin Dyson. And he was the one who first encouraged me in the ministry of deliverance and opened a door to Asia. As a result of him opening the door to Asia, I've been able to go to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all through Asia. But it was one person opened that door, and I really honor him for that. When we came here to uh, Hastings, we sat under the ministry of John and Paul of Sanford. They're the founders of Elijah House. And I want to particularly honor them because they gave keys that changed my heart and changed my life. They changed my marriage. They changed everything that we did powerful keys. We only went to one seminar, but you know, if your heart is ready and hungry, you don't need a long and a great engagement. You just need to be receptive to what truth is brought to you and do something with it. <clears throat> it was life transforming and it's added to the ministry carry. I want to really honor another man of God called Pastor Clark Taylor. And uh, you would have loved him. Uh, amazing man of God. And uh, he was a pioneer in faith and miracles. And uh, his meetings were some of the most powerful I've ever seen in the world. And he modeled for us faith and the power of God. Uh, I want to also honor some other people just a bit closer. I want to just honor and appreciate my own father and mother. Their journey wasn't that easy. After a year after they got married, my father went to war. He'd come from a broken family, went to war for four and a half years, <clears throat> came back a changed man. That couldn't have been easy. But they did produce a very stable home. Uh, very stable. Many families, uh, people grow up and they don't have a father and a mother or the family's broken or something like that. We had a very stable home. Uh, Mum was a home builder and dad was a provider. I want to also just honor and appreciate Joy's parents. And uh, I had never met anyone like them. They had a, there, was a, there was a life and a vibrancy in their home, but there was also a godly order. And he modeled for me what a Christian father would do in a home and a family. I watched everything he did, learned from everything he did. He, he modeled what legacy building looked like. And so I drew tremendously from the example that he gave. And then I want to just particularly honor my own children today. When <coughs> they didn't expect that I'd be involved in pastoring. <laughs> I was a teacher. And uh, so my involvement in pastoring 
put tremendous demands on my life and time. I carried the responsibility for school and responsibility for church. So I was working from dawn till late at night. And uh, so they had to share me with people. For most people, they've got their parents to themselves. But my children shared their father, shared their home with everyone else. And sometimes it would have looked like everyone else had a higher priority. And I tried to make sure I had an appointment with them uh, all the time. I'll share a little bit about things I did decide to do that helped that. But really want to honor them. When we came here, they went through a season of tremendous spiritual warfare that we faced in pioneering the church here. And they all struggled in their own ways. And it wouldn't be appropriate for me to share some of the struggles they had. But I honor each of them for the standing through it all. We have now seven children who all love us and 24 grandchildren. We've got seven. One, we've got wonderful, wonderful family members. You couldn't ask for more. I'm full because of what God has done. So I want to just honor them because they sacrificed. And they're in many, many different ways, spiritual warfare. I can remember uh, Dave's excitement when I bought him a, uh, a radio control model. And uh, we worked for three days putting it together in such joy and excitement and he brought it to church Sunday and someone stole it. And uh, these are the things you never heard about. But there's, there's many things like that that happen on the way. And, uh, and we've just, all the children be very good about the stuff that happened. And they've learned to follow God. But they basically have uh, walked with us through the years when there was nothing. They didn't know we had nothing because we never told them. But I was living off $120 a week trying to provide for four or five children. One very easy. So Joy made everything. So I really want to honor Joy because she was an exemplary wife and mother. She never complained that our salary had gone down. She just put herself to work and she, uh, she, we would come up here and we'd pick up fruit off the ground, take it back in a trailer and put it all and bottle it and do stuff people don't do today. And uh, she never complained about that. We had hundreds of bottles of fruit prepared and all kinds of other things prepared. That was what Joy did. And clothes mostly came secondhand, but the kids never complained. We never complained. We never had any money, but it didn't matter. Our home was a center for people to come. It was God's home. And so his presence was there. And so no one knew that we didn't have much because we didn't tell them. And, uh, and God seemed to provide for everything we needed. So we weren't, we weren't poor. We had God and we had one another. How can you be that poor? Can't be that poor at all. So I just want to honor my children because of uh, all that they have done in their pursuit. They've all gone through their own journey. We've had to pray and contend for everyone to be in the faith and influence them at various points. But all of them have come to love and honor us. And I appreciate them all for that. And I appreciate David and Kate. I want to honor you. I think that for us to be in the church that we pioneered and to see you carry the same drive and passion with your own flavor and gift and to know that you walked through such a hard season, a difficult season where there was rejection and dishonor and yet here you are faithfully committed and still honoring us. I really want to honor you today and appreciate I just love you both and just thank you for the work you're doing pastoring the church. I want to give them a clap, show. I just appreciate them. They're wonderful people. They've both gone through their own journey, and I just particularly thank and love my wife, who's remained true to the core. I think one of the, there's many things I could say, but she has had the same passion for the Lord. And when each of you have a passion for the Lord, you're not divided in where you're going. The big issue is being divided because at the core we have different things we're looking for. 
We've always been one. She's, she's embraced the call of God, embraced the changes, embraced the sacrifices, embraced the journey, and adjusted and given up what she could have done in order that she could work with me as a helper to me. And I really want to honor you and love you today. You're beautiful. I really love you. My beautiful wife. She's my best friend. So let me just give you a couple more keys then, and, uh, and because these are really quite important. Uh, I've tried to think through <coughs> uh, what sorts of things happened that made the change and the difference. And I think one of them was the relationships God brought to me. Two was the, ch- the choice to honor them. But three were encounters. I believe encounters with God are crucial for you going forward. And you need two types of encounter. You need an encounter with truth. We need God to open our eyes to understand things we can't understand. We need him to reveal eternal realities to us, and we did encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was those two things that changed us. It certainly changed me. So as Joyce said, we had a, I had a strong religious background, went through uh, the schools locally here and in Hastings, and, uh, but there was a, a, a real difficulty when it came to the issue of our own relationship going forward into marriage because of the traditional thinking was in the families and to violate the traditions of the family was just going to, it was just such a conflict or potential conflict around it. So we felt powerless in the middle of it and, and the, the on-off nature of our relationship, I mean, I, we both entered our marriage eventually with a broken heart. Uh, Joy's pregnancy out of, out of wedlock was a source of tremendous grief and shame and fear and secrecy, trying to hide what was happening and trying to control or get, over, get, get on, to just control what was going on. As Joyce said, we were able to have a service, which was a combined service, a real rare thing in those days. And, uh, but in that service, I came into a truth encounter. We had a joint service and the, and the Anglican minister, David King, shared the passage out of Ecclesiastes chapter four. And I know he read the whole passage and preached on it, but I only heard these two bits. And, and it's like God went, lit me up inside. He said, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. I said, yeah, we're getting married, great. And then he come to the bit where he said, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And the moment he uttered those words, I heard the Lord say to me, or I felt an awareness and conviction in my heart, my marriage would fail unless Jesus was in it. I immediately knew without Jesus, I could not be the man I needed to be and my marriage would not survive. Uh, how do you know? I don't know, I just, I just knew it in a moment. It was the Holy Spirit as a result of people praying. I just knew in my heart my need for Jesus. And so while he's still speaking, I just prayed a simple prayer, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be in our marriage. I want you to be the third cord that binds our lives together. And uh, he answered that prayer. I didn't feel any great thing, but uh, that, was, that was within a short time later. Uh, I had, it was, you have to understand the context for this with those sideburns. This was the hippie era. <laughs> we come from another generation. You've only seen them in the movies. The Woodstock generation, the hippies and the, the flares and the big boots. Man, great stuff. And uh, so I was all into that. And so hippies and flares, all the things. The hair I had, and you can't believe this, I don't know hair now, but I had hair down on my shoulder with a headband, you know. That's how it was. I should try and find one of those pictures for you. 
But that was the period of the, uh, the hippie movement. That was the period of a rebellion against authority. It was the period of uncertainty and upheaval in the world. It was the period where a generation was being lost. I'm going to come back to it shortly. A whole generation was being lost because the people who came back from the war were traumatized. All they could be concerned with was security, and there was a lack of emotional connection, relational connection, and there was a rebellion in the 60s, and it began to just blow out everywhere. And so there was a culture that turned to drugs, it turned to sex, it turned to free love, it turned to the, this was the whole hippie movement, a rebellion against authority, a rebellion against the Vietnam War, and there was always living in the fear of a nuclear war. So the generation where we grew up, and that seed was a period of tremendous upheaval in the culture and society, the breakdowns of families and the societies we'd known it. It was, a, it was a generation, there was a contention for that generation. Just like right now, there is a fresh contention for this generation. And in the midst of that contention, there was a massive move of God called the charismatic movement, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that went through the Catholic Church, it went through the Protestant churches, it swept the world, and, it, and there was a move of God. Now, when you've never been in a move of God, hard to understand, but people everywhere start to get filled with the Spirit. They become hungry for God. People come. I went to a Catholic church meeting in Auckland. There were over 900 people there coming to learn and be taught how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. We were in a, a, a Pentecostal church in Auckland. There was a massive move of God. People saved miracles every meeting, words of knowledge that would just shake you to your core. That's where David was born. David was born that year. He was born into that season of the move of God. And we dedicated him to the Lord in that church that was in revival. I remember it. Bring him up the front, presenting him to the Lord so that God's hand would be upon him. He was blessed in a church in the midst of revival. See? And uh, so it was a, but that season was a season of contention for a generation and God poured out his spirit and answer for it. And what happened was uh, our whole plans were all disrupted. God just, we'd planned, I got, got, got rid of everything and we quit our job. We were all ready to go overseas and suddenly God blew on the plan, just blew it over like that. The, the couple folded and separated and we're not going overseas anymore. So we went to Teachers College and that year I had this most amazing encounter with the Holy Ghost. I was in a meeting, not even a Pentecostal meeting. This is how amazing it is. You know, today you've got to persuade people to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, I'm just hungry. God, fill me. And I praying in tongues. It wasn't not out loud because you couldn't do that. It wasn't a Pentecostal meeting. What's happening to me? The Holy Ghost is in, the joy is in me. Man, I've had an encounter with God. I went home, went out and walked that night. I'm praying. I can feel the joy rising up. My head's saying, what are you doing? Someone will hear you. They'll lock you up. No. I can feel the joy. I have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. Man, I never a clue, but I used to pray in tongues and I used to walk around the block, pray in tongues, get filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and uh, so that, that was, so an encounter with truth, encounter with the Holy Ghost. You need both all the time, consistently, the revelation of the word that shifts your thinking and the Holy Ghost empowering you. Then we made a decision to go to, uh, to Danny Verkin. So I want to, here's the next thing is that you need to understand that your advancement, uh, it depends on the decisions and choices you make. No one arrives where we've arrived by chance. No one. It's not an accident that we are where we are. It's the result of decisions. 
It's the result of choices. And sometimes they're big decisions, big choices. Sometimes they're small ones. And no one ever sees them. You haven't seen them. But I made them. We made them. And then over the course of time, your life takes on a direction, either endorsed by God or you fall out of the favor of God. And so the choices you make are very, very important. And uh, we, we see what people succeed in, but we don't see what they were doing behind the scenes. We don't see the sacrifices. We don't see the places of encounter with God. And when you read the life of Abraham, you'll find this is, this is true of the life of Abraham. Abraham was a man of altars. The altar and the tent characterize Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith. So what does that mean? An altar is a place of sacrifice where something is laid down in the service of God. And it's to bring about an encounter with God and his presence and power in our life. Abraham was a man of altars and commitments to God, and he was a man of tents. He kept moving, never settling down. And so in our journey, there's decisions we've had to make, and some of them were really major and really significant ones, uh, but they led to changes. So here's some of the, the, the decisions I made. I won't give you a lot of the details of it. I'll just give you, I'll give you one scripture for each one, just so you can see that they are foundational kingdom decisions. And the consequence of these decisions has led us where we are now, because God honors your decisions. It's not all about a meeting. It's not all about just uh, God doing something supernaturally. If you think that way, you're not taking responsibility to partner with him and make decisions. The greatest gift God has given us, one of the greatest gifts is our free will. So here's the decisions I made. And looking back, I, I realized they were foundational decisions. They're, they're never taken away. You just keep in them. So number one was the decision to serve. When I was first Born, in, in, moved in the Holy Ghost, came to Dannyburg, the first thing I did was become engaged and available to serve in the school in advancing the cause of Christ. What could I do? Nothing. Didn't know anything. I could play an accordion, so I played music. <laughs> played music. That's what I do. Then they left me the whole thing, and now I'm in charge of it. It's the story of my life, being left the whole thing and no training. And, and, and then I made myself available to serve in the church. Again, did music initially, then made cups of tea, all kinds of other things. But basically, it's a decision to serve. And one of the pastors said to me, well, you might have been something there, but you're nothing here. <clears throat> just, just, just serve, learn to serve. So I embraced serving. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, 28. He said, if you want to be great, become a servant. Whoever desires to be first, let him be the servant of all, because this is what Jesus modeled. He didn't come expecting people to bless him. He came to serve people and give his life for them. So we learned at the beginning that if you want to walk with God, you learn to serve people. Serve people. Develop the servant heart because that's a core quality of the kingdom. You find someone who's got a servant heart, God will promote that person. They're too good to leave where they are. Most people serve so they can get something. But we serve because that's what we do. We're called to do that. So I made a decision and I became available to serve in prayer meetings. I served everywhere, youth and counseling, music, any, whatever it was. I just put my hand up and said, I'll do it. Count me in. I'm in. The second thing is, we placed a priority on the kingdom of God. The second thing is priority. When, I went, when we, we went to a Bible school, and in one teaching session, suddenly I got a revelation of the kingdom of God. In a moment of time, 
I understood this is not just about giving your heart to Jesus, it's about him being the king and we're in a kingdom and the king has an order, a way of doing things that he endorses and blesses. You operate outside of that, then he will not bless it, doesn't matter how nice you are. There's an order in the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and all these other things will be added to you. So when I got the revelation of the kingdom of God, eternal rewards, and understood it was a kingdom, my heart was smitten. Immediately, I got water baptized. I knew I needed to get water baptized. Immediately, I realigned with authority. I went to my boss. I apologized and put right my tardiness in administration. I aligned myself under authority. It was a very, very important decision. I began to be very careful with my life. And uh, that decision of, uh, uh, of the kingdom of God was, uh, was the most important thing. It affected my finances. Suddenly, my money's not my own. And I love what Pastor Dave was talking about this morning. People argue and fuss over tithing and not saying, what, what a nonsense that is. And the New Testament teaches we're a steward of everything. It all belongs to God. If you want something, you, get, you let it go. But you do honor him in a very practical way. But, but it's never limited to just one thing. When we bought a house, we wanted a house so we could serve people and have people in. We've always done things for God because he did so much for us. That's how it works. There were idols I had to get rid of. There were things that were preoccupying me. In a moment of time, God said, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I, had to, I just let them all go, one after the other. The hardest one was my, my, my Ford V8, 1934 Ford V8, which I loved. Oh, it was so dear to me. And I had to let that all go too, everything. You just, the idols went. I did a house cleansing and a life cleansing and the idols went. And we've maintained a priority, God first, his kingdom first, and after that, everything works out. It's not family first. It's not marriage first. It's not church first. It's kingdom first. If you put kingdom first, everything else will become empowered. You put other things first, now you've altered God's priorities, you'll find there'll be problems everywhere in your life. The, the third thing was repentance. Jesus, the, the foundational message of the, the kingdom is repentance. Jesus taught, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, Matthew 4, 17. Repentance means a drastic turning away from what was wrong thinking and acting and turning towards God's way. Repentance is something that's a part of our life forever. It's just while you're on this earth, you're gonna be repenting. It's a daily thing. And I had, this is what I did. I had to repent of a number of things, but one of the most significant things I repented of was my failure of joy before we were married. That was the most heartbreaking thing that God showed me I need to deeply repent that I had failed to be responsible, that I'd violated her before marriage, and that this outcome of that was a child who's here with us today, Josephine, and the Lord put me on my knees and I repented before him. And I not only repented before him, God gave me faith when I truly repented of being irresponsible as a man and as a, and as a father, of abandoning my daughter and abandoning my wife and, and not actually being responsible for my actions. I repented deeply before the Lord for that and immediately faith came into my heart, I would see my daughter again. Now in those days you couldn't actually connect with children that were adopted, the laws were just so that you could never meet them again. But God put faith in my heart and I made a covenant with him that the day that he brings her back, I will acknowledge and welcome her. And so I just prayed for her almost every day for 18 years. You see, repentance is foundational to your life with God. 
And today we have our beautiful daughter here. How amazing. I, how can you thank God so much for what he's done? I had the great honor of, uh, of being able to connect with her again and, and uh, meet with her and restore relationship, get to know her. And then I had the great honor of being able to, uh, lead, uh, to um, take their wedding. Just an extraordinary honor to pray with them for a child, Hannah, beautiful child, to lead them both to the Lord. No one gets that opportunity. So you say, well, how did that happen? Oh, it's a miracle. No, no, no. It starts with an altar before the Lord where you actually surrender. That's when you see the miracles. Surrender and alignment with God makes way for him to move. There's other things too, but that's a core part of it. And I'm just so thankful to the Lord for what he's done. I'm so thankful to the Lord. I made the commitment. I build altars regularly. An altar means you just... You lay your life down. You say no to yourself and say yes to God. We did that over many things. I laid down a career with no possible future. I can remember when God put me in a small school in a small town with 20 students. I remember kneeling before the Lord and said, Lord, if you want me to stay here the rest of my life and just do this, I'll do it. You understand, it's, this is not religion of convenience. This is a deep, heartfelt commitment to the Lord. Loyalty is important in God's kingdom, faithfulness. Our pastor betrayed us all. He was involved with someone and then abandoned the church, abandoned the school. And so within, I started in May, in October he had left and we were abandoned. There was confusion, no leadership in the church. There was contentions for leadership. And in the midst of it, I, could, I felt like I need to get out of here. That overwhelming pressure. And I remember kneeling again before the Lord and saying, Lord, if I pull out now, your name will be mocked and ridiculed right through this town. We started a Christian school and couldn't finish. And I said, Lord, for your namesake, for your honor, I will stay here even though I don't see any future. I don't know how this is ever going to work out. I will hold my commitment and call in spite of what it looks like. And then God spoke to me. I'm going to make you the pastor. You have what it takes. Say, no, 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 no. Someone else. Within about three or four months, I was put in as the pastor. You understand there's always unseen things, things you never see. The tears, the sacrifice, all that goes on underneath it. I believe that another thing that's important is that I, I made a decision to build a lifestyle of worship. Our kids know they'd hear me praying. They'd hear me up praying every morning. I would get up. I had such long days. I'd arrive before, I'd get up before 5 a.m. in the morning and I'd be out there and I'd have my hour with God. Then start the day and then we'd finish the day with the Lord. I used to play the accordion and worship and bring the presence of God into our home. Got rid of TV, everything else. We just built a home where the presence of God could be. I made another commitment and decision that I build a generational legacy. In Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then it says, And these words that I command you shall be in your heart, and you'll teach them diligently to your children. So loving the Lord is, the next step is, think of the next generation, not yourself. 
Today we're in a culture that's one generational, just about me and mine. You've got to break that mindset. That's not kingdom. God's the Father. He's the, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a multi-generational God. So therefore, don't live for yourself and don't build for yourself. Build for another generation. So what did that look like? Well, that meant we build a family altar. Every, every morning, every evening, we would be around the table. We would pray together. We would read the Bible together. We would share the stories of the Bible and God's works among men. We would have family times. I'd have appointments with the children to talk with them. I would have times we did family. No one else came. It's just the family building. We built family memories and experiences. See, it's not accidental. You build. It says by wisdom is a house built. You have to do these things. We have to make a decision. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So for me, what it looked like was I had to break down old patterns of thinking and family life and build different ones for the future. Now, some of you here are first-generational Christians, which means, and you may have come from a broken family, may have come from abuse, all kinds of things. You've not only got to now get established in your faith, you've got to look at what was good that you can honor, and then what was broken, you need to dismantle it and intentionally build something different for the future. It doesn't happen. See, I'm building for three generations. That's why we connect with our grandchildren. We try and make finances available for our children and grandchildren, investing in them. And I'm praying for the next generation, the great-grandchildren. Why? Because you, it's not just a move of God that changes things. What changes things is building families that are multi-generational. When God told the people to go to war, He gathered them together in their families. We need strong marriages, strong families built on kingdom principles. It's not too late to make changes. And if you're a younger person here, to start to think about what you'll build with your future. And don't let some person come into your life and wreck you and wreck your dreams. And then the last thing I made a strong commitment to was personal heart transformation. I have been committed to the Lord changing my heart. That's meant being humble and vulnerable. It means talking about what I've got that's weak and repenting. It means being involved in receiving ministry. And in an ongoing way, let the Lord work in my heart. In Psalm 84, blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord, who embraces God's process of change with his heart, who passes through the valley of tears and disappointments and heartaches and sorrows and turns it into a well. That person goes from strength to strength. There's no such thing as a life without disappointments and difficulties, but you do get to choose what you do with them. You can either control and cover and wall your heart or you can open your heart to the God who loves you and let him heal you and transform you and you become an answer, a well for others. So let me just, just finish with a, just a couple more thoughts. Every generation needs a move of God. Every generation. Our generation saw a move of God. We, I just got on on the tail end of it. Then I watched when the tide went out, year after year, ministries falling, people failing, all kinds of immorality. And we had to hold our commitment based that we touched God and wanted to see Him again. And I've seen Him move. I've seen Him move. But there's a greater move to come. And this generation needs that move. This generation needs that move. You know, a generation can move, can, can miss God. In Numbers 14, a whole generation missed their inheritance because they wouldn't reach into God with faith. In Jesus' day, a whole generation lost what they should have had 
because they didn't realize God was moving. They didn't have understanding what God was doing. They were dull spiritually, complacent spiritually. They didn't see what God was doing in the terrible need. And within 70 years, the city was destroyed and the whole nation dispersed for nearly 2,000 years. There's a huge consequence for a generation missing a move of God. But now you're the next generation. I came out of the hippie generation. And that generation saw a move of God that swept the world. People came to Christ from all over. People that were impossible to reach came to Christ. There was a church in Christ Church. They had a move of God. Pastor Phil Pringle, the leader of C3, C3 Movement, was a hippie, drug-smoking hippie, came in and got saved in that church. That church is historical in the history of our nation in terms of what God did. And then also how the church didn't respond. I met the pastor after I heard the story. They were all hippies. They were all, you know, all over the place. They came in and filled the church up and ordinary good folk were offended. And because the hippies didn't all join the system, when it came to voting, they voted the pastor out. And the move of God lifted in a day. One of the greatest tragedies in our nation that a group of religious, indifferent people Stop the move of God. Tragic. And so now we've gone a long time without a move in our nation. And you're living in the generation that now needs a move. Look what's going on. Look what's happening over in America. What you're seeing in the media. All the foundations of society that would build a great society are being eroded away. Identity, broken family, sexual abuse, sexual trafficking, drugs. These things are becoming epidemic. They're all the signs of a nation failing, of a culture failing. This next generation, you're in a culture war. You're in a war for your destiny. We need to see what's happening. See, capitalism has become so filled with greed, it's literally oppressed and plundered people. And so now people are drawn to socialism. Socialism is an evil. There's no time in history where it hasn't been evil. Its fundamental premise is anti-God and anti-personal responsibility. It's, where, it's what happens when the character of a nation declines so much, they just want someone else to do it for them. So government takes over and government controls and, and then it tries to make everything equal. But you know what? It disobeys the Word of God. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Violates so many principles. And so now the, there's a turmoil in a generation. So we can't just bury ourselves and say, he's not going to affect me. It will affect me. If you're an older person, got children, they're wrestling for their future. You're wrestling for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Don't be selfish in all of this. It's not about you. What is about you is whether you'll stand and participate in the war for the next generation. There's a battle for what you believe in your heart. And the culture is shifting. So now to stand up and have a differing opinion, you will be labeled, you will be rejected, you will be canceled. But the disciples of Christ have always in those times come together and met in prayer and said, God, look upon their threatening and pour out your spirit with signs and wonders and miracles. This is a need now for a generation to arise 
If you're younger, get established in the Word of God. Get to understand the principles of God. Understand how the kingdom works, how wealth is generated. You need to understand it. It's not just a magic thing. There are ways that these things happen. Principles of God's Word. How to prosper in your marriage. How to prosper in your family. How to prosper in life everywhere. We need the kingdom principles built back into our life because we lost our way. If you're an older person, don't disengage and say, oh, I've done my bit. No, you haven't. This is your time to pray, to pray passionately. This is your time to mentor young people, to get alongside them and show them how to do stuff. You learned before your skills are gone. It's a time to have a heart to connect. It's a time when the church must arise again. This is a new generation. In my prayers, I'm not just praying for the ones here. I'm praying for the ones to come. They're the ones that need the move of God. And I know if God could change me through prayer, He can change the next generation through prayer. He wants believers that will build an altar and say, God, I'm not going to live for myself. I want to live for you. I want to live for a cause. That cause is the cause of Christ. As David said, when they laughed at him and ridiculed him and said, well, who do you think you are? He said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for me to turn up and fight? It's the same today. Why don't you close your eyes right now, wherever you are. Where is it in your life you need to make a decision or a choice? Today could be catalytic for your life to turn. It's always our choices, coupled with God's Spirit and Word, that moves the course of our life. We have a heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, and He grieves over a generation. The broken children, the abused children, the people in bondage, the family's broken. He's just looking for people that'll be available. Say, God, here am I. Church loves experiences and encounters and great meetings, but living the kingdom is living a day, day by day, putting Him first. Wherever you go, you will be salt and light, carrying the savor of the one you've been in His presence. This is a great day. So what right now do you need to lay before the Lord? Is there something you need to repent of, to turn from? Maybe a relationship that defiles, draws you away, sabotages your walk and faith in Christ. Maybe it's a disappointment you need to overcome an offense, a hurt, a betrayal. Maybe it's some kind of weariness that's come because it's been a long journey and very hard and you're just feeling tired. Say, God, I need a fresh encounter, a fresh touch of your spirit. Perhaps for some of you, God's saying to let something go that's a part of your life, something ungodly. Perhaps for some of you, he's saying, 
I'm calling you. Will you respond? I want to do great things in you. How could I know when I hear a little verse like a threefold chord is not easily broken, that when I responded to that, it would mean changing the lives of thousands and building a marriage and family that would honor God. It always is a decision. What decision is the Holy Spirit saying for you to make? Just right now, wherever you are, if God is calling you to build an altar, would you just stand right now? A place of sacrifice, a place of commitment. Just stand wherever you are. The call to prayer. The call to do something about your marriage. Perhaps that you're a man and you've failed to lead your family. You've left them uncovered because of your neglect of prayer. And now people are tormented and troubled and there's many issues going on. And you, you're mainly responsible because you never led. You need to build an altar. Perhaps it's a wife. You've struggled with grief and resentment because your husband hasn't led. And God's saying to put your attitude right. Pray for him, encourage him, believe for him. Perhaps it's a young person and you've dishonored your parents. And God is saying you need to forgive and put it right and start to honor. Perhaps it's someone you've had very bad church experiences and it's left you suspicious, distrustful. Why don't you build an altar and surrender it to the Lord? Elijah challenged the nation. Why halt between two opinions? If God is the Lord, serve Him. And he built an altar, repaired the altar that was broken down. And God came. Just whatever it is right now, just make that decision. Perhaps it's for your marriage, for your children, for your grandchildren. Maybe it's a decision about finance, a decision about your prayer life, a decision about you. Everyone's got where they're at right now. I don't need to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit is showing you right now. Jesus, you have done so much for me. I present myself today to love you with all my heart, affections, and will, and to surrender to you all that I am and all that I have to fulfill your will and bring pleasure to you and contribute to what you're doing in this generation. Show me how I can outwork this. Touch me, Lord. I wonder if you could just flow into that song, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name.